Welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate. This is your host, Ishai Breslauer. Here we meet every Monday to talk commercial real estate and prop tech. We will dive deep into the different asset classes, discuss the market, talk about the new and exciting technologies, meet key people in the industry, and get some inspiration. Let's begin. Hey guys, before we start, I just want to point out the six best secrets for commercial real estate. It's a free download. Go to the text side and you will find it. It has absolutely great information, completely free, how to become a landlord, how to determine the value of a property, or creative financing for commercial real estate. All of it is completely free. Go download it. Also, I want to point out my CRE crash course. It's a two-week must-have program with a must-have skills for commercial real estate, like investment strategies, the must-have financial terms, how a deal is done. Go take a look at it. Go to the text side and click on the link. And now let's continue with our program. Hey, guys. How are you? This is Ishai Breslauer, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. Today, we are actually traveling to Switzerland, believe it or not. And... Uh, I guess it's a mix of Switzerland and South America with someone who is completely global in terms of the business. And it's uh, Juan Carlos Lara is with us. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jishai. It is my pleasure. Excellent. You know what? Before we start digging into your story, if you could give us a two-minute elevator pitch about your business, so everybody understands your expertise, family office, you know, Latin American, Switzerland, U.S., whatever you're dealing with, we'll be happy to hear. Absolutely, yes, and thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, look, I'm a banker. I've been a banker all of my life. I started in, uh, in Mexico, in, the, in Banamex, which is uh, the largest Mexican bank. After that, I went to Wall Street to work with Banamex and then with Finamex uh, in the, basically in the trading area dealing with Latin American clients. Uh, then uh, I put a, a U.S. broker-dealer also to, to manage Mexican families, basically, and to manage their wealth. And little by little, I've been uh, coming into the family office business. And the reason why I've been switching from banking to family office is because uh, clients need more than than only have their wealth managed. They need personal assistance. They need the, their families uh, are are they own a lot of things and they need to make sure that everything that they own is being taken care of. So that's why I've been little by little going into the family office business. It is uh, way more than just managing money. Uh, in, and into that part of the ecosystem, I have been uh, been uh, very uh, very clear that sustainability is a must because uh, uh, something that is sustainable lasts, uh, becomes more efficient, and at the end of the day, uh, makes more money for the family and uh, makes people happier, especially the people that works for them. So I've been doing that uh, in the United States. And in 2010, um, a very good friend of mine invited me to come to, to Switzerland to work for UBS. 
uh, I accepted and, and that's why I came here in, in 2010. Uh, first to Zurich and now and now in Geneva, which by the way, I prefer Geneva way more than Zurich, but both are beautiful. Sounds great. And what I want to do is before we start digging into how you do it, why you do it, how you do it, let's go back in time, you know, get into the time machine, go back to, you know, time that you were, you are young. I don't know if you can go that far. And, uh, <laughs> what got you excited, you know, getting into business, being a banker on that level, which is a pretty serious one. Well, I wanted to prove myself. Uh, look, uh, when I studied at the university in Mexico, I studied with a scholarship. And it was because somebody gave me the opportunity. Somebody believed in me. And then when I went to Wall Street, uh, to me, failure was not an option. So I had to succeed in Wall Street. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, I think that if I, if I did it, I think that anybody can do it. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a matter of... Uh, of perseverance and, and, and hard work. Uh, so, so, so that's, I think that that's why I, I think I, I, I did my best and I am trying to do my best right now. And I am also trying to teach the next generation to do their best because I think that if you really try almost everything is possible. Tell me something. When you went to wall street, You're a South American kid who goes to Wall Street and start working in Wall Street. We're not talking only about language barriers, which I would love to hear how, how it went for you, but I'm talking about culture. How was it to adapt, you know, from South America, which is by far very, very different. You come to Wall Street, which is not America. It's the America of the America. <laughs> it's like the, you know, uh, the Rome of today. And it's not only Rome, it's the Colosseum, whatever you want to call it. It's like right there. How was it for you? What experiences did you, did you have? Look, it, it was a shocking because before I went to Wall Street, I went to Boston. Uh, and I, uh, I was an intern in the, in the Gillette company. Again, because somebody, somebody believed in me. And, uh, and, and I had the opportunity to go to Harvard because Gillette, Gillette helped me uh, to, 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 to study there. And, and I had a lot of preconceptions about Harvard and I thought it was all preppy and all elegant. So I bought, I didn't have a nice suit, so I bought a suit to go to school. <laughs> and I found that, <laughs> and I found that everybody had jeans and like, different color, hair of color and uh, I mean, green, yellow, Uh, purple and I say what the hell is this I mean to me that was a shocker and and also part of the shocker was was the financial terms when you translate them in Spanish because for instance uh, assets and liabilities assets in in, in Latin America is uh, activos so activos is is you, you can translate it as active and the uh, passivos which is the the liability part, Uh, you can translate it as a passive. So when I start working and studying, I was talking about the actives and the passives. And it was everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, do you really understand what you're saying? I mean, they, they really didn't understand anything. The funny thing is that it, 
among Latinos, among, among Latin-speaking people, all your mistakes are very well understood among these people. I mean, if you speak to a Mexican and you go, and you did the, you do terrible uh, language mistakes, they will understand very well what you're saying because they speak the same language, the, the, the same way you do with all these mistakes. But an American hears this, an American says, "What in the hell are you doing, guys? I mean, are you talking Chinese or what?" So I know it was a shocker, but basically for the for the language part, look, Mexico is very competitive country. When you work in, in Latin America, when you work in a city like uh, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City, uh, people are extremely, extremely competent and, and, it's, uh, and, and, and it's difficult to succeed there. So I think that New York and Mexico have a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities in that way. Uh, I mean, even though, even though uh, on paper, it doesn't look that way. You know, it sounds so exciting. What, what is, you know, crazy about this whole story is that, you know what, you're so right about American culture. Uh, America, everybody in America, you know, we think that the entire world is America. I always, you know, we laugh with my kids. We love to watch movies. And we say, you know, when you, you have this, uh, you know, huge earth disaster that affects the entire earth, usually you see a little bit of the other cities, but it's mostly in New York. It's like Los Angeles, New York. Like the whole disaster on earth is, is that. So we always laugh that America is like everything. American thing that, you know, that everything is everything. It's not. And that's what they, how they approach language. You don't speak our language. Well, where you come from? You're an alien. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's the way it is. But uh, you know what? What I want to go and dig into is, is actually how you started getting into this whole world of family office. It, it's a world that requires expertise and you obviously saw an opportunity, you know, dealing with South American families and their needs. Where was the point where you saw, whoa, there's a need there and I can come in and serve that need. Okay. You, I, I probably you're going to laugh because it was by buying watches. Uh, most of my clients, when I was in New York, they wanted to buy a watch. And, and they they uh, they didn't know which watch and uh, and I've, I I've always been a, a, a guy that likes watches, so I used to recommend them which watch to buy, and then I I used to buy the watch for them. They used to send me the money, and I used to go to the store and buy the watch. Uh, the 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 interesting part of this is that uh, uh, when you are a banker. I always ask for permission because the guy was going to send me the money. First of all, to get that per, that that permission from the bank to receive the money from the client to buy the watch, I mean, had to go all the way to the CEO of the bank to 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 be able to 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 have the authorization. So I saw that it was not uh, not efficient. And, and little by little, clients needed more things. Uh, clients said, "You know what? Okay, my daughter is going to go to." to a summer, summer school, which school do you recommend and, and how do I enroll her? How, how can I do that? So little by little, I mean, the, the, look, the money part was the easy part because, because uh, first of all, 
Latin American clients are very, very cautious. So they don't want to, to gamble with the assets. So usually the investments are, are very plain vanilla. So, so that part is more or less, uh, more or less tranquil. But the other part was very dynamic. They always needed something. And Latin American people like to have absolutely everything that is new. So my job became little by little to find what was new in the ecosystem that the client was was working or was was living, and uh, and so I, I I start little by little uh, finding these kind of things. An interesting part is that uh, the the besides the watches, the primary part that was part of this uh, ecosystem was uh, corruption. Uh, and what I mean in corruption is the clients used to ask me, okay, you have this paper that you're offering. Please tell me something about the family behind the company that is issuing the security. So, okay, well, it, probably today is very easy to do that. You go to Bloomberg and, and in two seconds you have it or you go to Google. In those days, we didn't have those systems that well. We're talking about the 80s. So, uh I have to dig, I have to dig and I have to call the country where the family live and ask how corrupt is the family? I mean, as simple as that, thank God I had a nice network of, 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 of colleagues in Latin America and we, and we found out quickly and easily who was corrupt and who was not. Because when you have an issue that is corrupt, doesn't matter if they have the money or not, they are not going to pay. So that was also part of the beginning of the of the family office business trying to find who, who which issuer was corrupt and which one was not corrupt and believe it or not we never had a default so we were very lucky so so you came it's very interesting you came into where you are now which we're going to speak about in a second through buying luxury items whatever they are or buying or getting how do you say purchases let's say summer camps for the kids, et cetera, whatever it was. And once it got into all kinds of payments, you had to start from the point of due diligence. Meaning you became professional, if I understand correctly, from the angle of due diligence. The DD, became, you became a compliance guy, meaning the guy who's not only helping, but in order to help, you needed to do compliance, you to check these guys out and to find out that... Every person, every family, every business that you dealt with was legit. But from that point, what I'm curious is, I'm curious about is how did you get from that due diligence aspect to start getting more sophisticated in terms of, like you said, managing money is a lot, a lot more. And you obviously built a business around it or you, you know, that's what I want to hear. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, uh, the the corruption part was my probably most important activity for for many years, because the financial analysis that you do that you do to a security, uh, we, uh, I mean, we and and most of the of the people have very very clear protocols to 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 perform an analysis, and I was very big into fixed income in those days. So uh, the, the financial analysis, which I'm not a financial analyst, even though I understand that very well, uh, it was done by the by, by by another group, and we used to to meet every day. But but 
in my desk, my right side of the desk, the one, the, the people that was sitting was not a financial analyst, was an attorney. And this attorney was an attorney in fraud because again, dealing with Latin American securities, the financial analysis was done by 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 the other department, right? Uh, the, the the numbers were very clear that if the company was uh, was uh, or had the capability to to repay their debt, and uh, if it was equity, if the if the if the company had the capability to grow, and uh, what were the challenges and the opportunities for the company? But the part that we didn't see and we didn't read was the other part, which was the 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 character of the owner. And and that was my that was that was a part that fascinated me uh, always and uh, and and so I combine I combine both parts the the financial part in one side and the other part which is the the character of the owner uh, in the other side and also the colleagues of the owner the friends of the owner the family of the owner uh, which is extremely important when you deal with the with a financial instrument, people people usually overlook that. And when you talk to a financial analyst, well, they tell you the numbers. Well, who cares about the numbers if the, the guy has the ability, but not the willingness to pay? And we are seeing this right now with the, with all these problems with the energy right now. I mean, it's not that the, that the country doesn't have the, the capability to have energy. Well, there's there's policies behind and there's corruption behind that uh, that unfortunately hampers the possibility to do something that in paper uh, through a financial analysis or through a regression looks pretty clean and easy. Why is it important? I understand that, you know, from a bird's eye view, why is it important to have, you know, when you start checking all these people, who is who is the person, ownership, partnership, family, friends, Tell us about this surrounding environment that a person has. Why could it affect the deal that much? Well, I think that it affects it uh, almost 100%. Look, let's talk about people like like Bernie Madoff. When I when I was uh, when I was in, well from New York, I went to Texas before coming to coming to to here to Switzerland. And uh, many of my clients were asking for the Madoff fund, funds because they were fantastic. I mean, they were making all this return. And, 10% and, and a year, every year. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And uh, look, and I contact Bernie Madoff probably probably five times because, because uh, more than one client wanted the funds. He never answered me. I mean, I guess that that I'm lucky because he never answered me. And of course, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not Wells Fargo, right? So I'm small, so so probably he was not that that uh, uh, that concerned about a couple million dollars. But but look look what happened. I mean, the the everything that he did was was a farce. Uh, and, and and you had the books, right? I mean, we had books. Everybody had the books that supposedly they were doing. Fantastic, but but numbers could be could be uh, I could say that could be managed uh, accordingly to whatever you want to show. Uh, I mean, even the financial ratios like PE ratio, you can manage it and you can put several things in the balance sheet that look different. 
So uh, I think that the that the character of the person is extremely important. Lehman Brothers, for instance, uh, I I knew the the guy that, that before Lehman, Lehman Brothers collapsed, and uh, he was uh, a little bit arrogant, I would say. Uh, in in the sense that I would never have put a cent in his in his bank, and and thank God I never did, uh, and 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 we know we all know what happened with the with the financial institution. Um, when he was about to collapse, he took his uh, beautiful plane and went uh, to, to and, and and went to Washington to ask for money to, for the, uh, to, to ask help uh, to the Federal Reserve. And, and of course, I mean, uh, the, the prepotence and, and, and uh, uh, didn't suit well with the, with the politicians. So, and again, this has nothing to do with the numbers themselves, right? Uh, so it has to do with the character of the people. In Latin America, for instance, we had a, I remember that, uh, that we had an, uh, when I was in one of these institutions in New York, there was a Latin American guy, I think was Mexican, that he wanted to issue $50 million in commercial paper. And uh, I, I didn't see the numbers of the company, but I was told that the numbers of the company were, were good enough. So the company was, was able to repay the, 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 the coupon and the debt of the company. Well, uh, six months passed after the, after the, 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 the underwriting, the, issue, the, the issuing of the paper, and the guy... Uh, declared the company bankrupt, and the guy never paid, not even the first coupon. So the guy stole $50 million. So it is extremely, extremely important the quality of the people, especially in uh, in uh, emerging markets, which is where I move, and also in small business, in small deals, because, I mean, probably when you buy IBM, who is the the manager? Well, who cares who the manager is? I mean, it's already a an ongoing business that is that is too huge that probably one person is not is not going to make a difference. But in small deals, the owner of the company makes all the difference. And believe me, in Latin America, there's a lot of people with the ability to pay, but some of them don't have the willingness to do so. So it's very important. You know what? When you talk about Lehman Brothers and everything that happened, it just happened to be that, you know, in that case specifically, <clears throat> the government did not come to their assistance, right? In Lehman Brothers, for whatever reason, maybe arrogancy, maybe whatever. And I remember that basically the government, the Treasury basically said, we're not going to go out of our ways and help, we want to see the banks actually coming along and doing whatever they have to do. Lehman Brothers was the most in trouble, meaning he was like in the most trouble than anyone else, right? Uh, but uh, they didn't come to his aid. And then once they realized that it's much bigger than what they thought, they did come to the aid of all the other guys. This one, they assisted with this acquisition and that MA and this and whatever. And they did all these things and they gave them a certain type of, uh, you know, infusion of money in order to be able to get the market going. So um, I appreciate it, but I, I don't know. I don't know the guy in Lehman Brothers. I forgot his name, but uh, we'll leave it to another time, I guess. 
But uh, I've seen so many interviews and so many, uh, you know, uh, movies about it. And so many, I read so much material about it. And I can tell you that, yeah, it's probably sometimes, even in a big company, it could be one guy with one characteristic that could lead it the wrong way. And, uh, you know, you need a, the wrong captain to do it. You're absolutely right about that. I'm and curious. Just to add. Just yeah, it, hap- it happened the same in LTCM. It happened the same in Exxon. Uh, so it, it, the, the character of the people makes a difference. In the case of LTCM, they had uh, two Nobel Prizes managing the, 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 the derivative uh, desk. And, uh, and of course, a, a Nobel Prize cannot go wrong. And uh, well, Mary Weather that, uh, thought so. And they, 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 they didn't accept... Uh, any uh, advice from from Wall Street that they had many, but they didn't accept it because they were the best. In the case of the case of Exxon, they were the smartest guys in the room, so they didn't accept any advice either. So it's yeah, I mean, I think it's important. Let's take a hypothetical example. Okay, you have a deal. You look at the underwriting, whether it's real estate, M and A, doesn't matter. You look at the underwriting and it looks great. Okay. You go through the numbers, it looks great. Now comes your part of the due diligence where you start digging into the people. You talk to the person, you look at his family, friends, etc. Give me a few examples of red flags that would tell you something's wrong over there without knowing, meaning without hearing, you know, that obviously if you hear, hey, he stole money from X and X, that's obvious. I'm saying. Everything looks okay on the surface, but you found something that was fishy. You know, some is the friends, the family, something is not quite the way it should be. Give us like an example without, it doesn't have to be with names, just, you know, the idea. Right, right. Look, I think that the examples are, are very easy to find, especially in Latin America. Again, this is the the part that I know probably I wouldn't be able to find that in the United States that easy. But in Latin America, it's so easy to see who's who. You can see their clothes. What clothes are they wearing? What car are they are they using? Their children, what car do they drive? Uh, how, uh, I would say, the, the prepotence. I mean, it's a, I guess that's an English word. How... how uh, how arrogant are yeah. the children? Uh, it's a it's a very important thing. If you have access, which I I try to do to talk to the service sometimes or people that was fired, uh, the service. How do people treat the service? Uh, you put that together, and believe me, you are, are also the character of the wife and the husband. Uh, they have lovers. They don't have lovers. Uh, do they uh, are they drunk all day long? Uh, do they uh, take drugs or not? I mean, these these are are very very important character things that will uh, will help you assess uh, how trustworthy somebody is. Because at the end of the day, it is it is not what people say. It's not what people. What they say they are is what they do. What is important, and uh, and if what they do doesn't doesn't 
let's say doesn't align with the with the values of a whole person that will pay your the debts that they have, you better run. <laughs> I mean, you better run because you're going to so, have problems with your with your money. <laughs> so, so that, these are very very excellent points, and uh, we can hear that you talk from experience, obviously. But let me ask you this: Let's say we're talking about a person that you saw. There's no fishy stuff in terms of the way they treat the workers. Everything looks okay, but yeah, they're flashy. They have those, you know, they drive Rolls Royce, Bentleys, whatever it is. They have those huge mansions and a yacht and whatever it is. They have crazy, crazy expensive clothing, and their spouses are like going nuts, and the kids are driving whatever. Everybody's crazy spoiled. But to add to that, it does fit the how do you say the official? Let's say they have a public record. It does fit the billionaire, you know, amount that they have, the billion, the billions that they have. Meaning, I'm not talking about a guy who you think that he is uh, spending a lot more than he has in order to be flashy, but he really is. Once you dig in, you found out that there there is money. Okay, there is money. There's a company, public company that exists, and there's liquidity, and there's meaning. You found all the right things in terms of the money. It's just very flashy. Would it still bother you? Yes or no, and why? Yes, it would bother me a lot. And let me tell you, let me tell you why. Um, uh, and, and this, and this has nothing to do with with religion, but we humans. We always believe in something else. Could be money, could be power, could be could be God, could be whatever in the hell you want. I mean, that is, we each of us have a have a, our own credo. But the people that uh, that are so in love with uh, these kind of material things, uh, at the end of the day, they uh, become. Uh, if they are successful, they become tyrants most of the time, and if they are not successful, they become slaves. So, uh, in this case, we're talking about probably a, somebody that could be a, more inclined to be a tyrant. And if if that is the personality of this person, all flashy with Rolls Royce in a in a poor country, right, where where people where 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 fifty percent of the people live at, in poverty. Uh, He's so much in love with the money, probably, that uh, if he if he has a chance to keep the money, he will keep it, despite the consequences in the future. Because when you become this this kind of a uh, so rich and, and probably arrogant, uh, the, the 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 consequences you don't really measure them well because you believe that you can get away with them. And let me tell you an example. I have a several clients in, in Monterey. Monterey is a town north of Mexico City, like a thousand kilometers, 800 kilometers. Uh, the, the most successful family that I, that I have there probably is worth around, I don't know, $15 billion. They, they, uh, they have Hondas, Honda cars. Uh, th that's, what they, that's what they drive. Uh, and they try to be the least flashy possible because it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're flashy, you are a target. 
and people can hurt you. And at the same time, people can hurt the business. And then by proxy, they will hurt the people that have your securities. So no, I mean, a, a, a flashy people, I mean, we're so used to Hollywood, right? See all these stars. I mean, well, they, they are stars. I mean, they, they sell their image. But if you're selling a security, you're selling a company, the least thing that you want is a flashy person because at least in Latin America, they can get in trouble personally for being flashy, kidnap or, or, or worse. And then the company will pay the consequences, meaning I will pay the consequences because I bought their stock or I bought their, their bond. So no, no flashy. I, I, I need, in fact, that is part of the family of his business, which is we, we teach the next generation not to be arrogant. In fact, we teach them to be humble. <laughs> we, we, I love that. And, 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 that is, and that is, that has the best outcome possible when they are humble because people like them. And when people like you, they buy your product. So it's, a, it's a really a win-win situation. The same happens when they, people hate you. I mean, you're with a Ferrari and you pass and people don't have not, nothing to eat and, and, and they hate you, right? So, so you don't want them to hate you. I mean, what do you do that? What, what is the, the reason to do that? I don't understand, but they do it sometimes. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you another challenge, um, even though I do agree with you, by the way. I agree with everything you said. I love what you said. But uh, let's travel to the States for a second which is a richer country. Let's go to Beverly Hills, which is flashy by definition. It's not a place with poverty versus richness, although there are a lot of homeless, but I'm saying let's go to Beverly Hills for a second. We'll travel over there or New York City or in a place where there's a community of very wealthy people and a person is flashy and everyone is flashy. Their friends are flashy. Everyone around them is flashy. And I'll tell you another thing. With the age of social media, okay, you have a lot of personas that, like you, uh, spoke about an actor that, you know, their image is all the way out there. You have people in social media who are business people, and that's how they make their persona. They put themselves out there with uh, those crazy videos, crazy events, and you know, they have the cars and they, you know, take a video of themselves in the car and, you know, the whole thing in the house and their kids and then their vacations. And then and, and that's how they draw all these, you know, investors in. And uh, obviously some of them don't have what they show and some of them do have what they show and they're capable. Uh, so I hear what you're saying, but in many ways, that's a business. Showing yourself to the world, some people think it's a business. And they make a business out of that. So it's more similar to, uh, uh, I would say, an actor in that sense, don't you think? Absolutely, yes. I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's not a, I mean, being flash is not a proxy that you are, that you are a, 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 a bad person at all. <laughs> uh, but what, I, what I've seen is that people that really work and, and that are very successful, I'm talking about, people with the, in, in the billion of dollar wealth, uh, they don't have time to be, to be that flashy. Uh, That's right. I mean, That's cannot, right. of course you cannot be general, right? But they don't have the time to do that. They, have, they, they are working, they're working hard. They, they work from, I don't know, 6, 7 a.m. to 8, 9 p.m. every day. 
And the last thing that they that they care is to is to to show something because they don't they don't need to show anything. I mean, they they own everything. So the ones that show is the ones that have time to burn. So probably those are not the the the, the real entrepreneurs. Those are the I guess family and friends. I hear what you say, and uh, it's very interesting. You could divide it, but yeah, you do have multimillionaires that are showing themselves. I'm not going to start mentioning names, but they do have they do have money and they do have abilities and they made their persona that way. But I do agree 100%. And I know personally also people who are in the billions. And in that case, yeah, they try to stay under the radar. They're busy, they work. They don't need to show anyone. And if they have those toys, they use them quietly, as we call it. You know, they enjoy it themselves. Right. They don't have to drive right. around. They have it in the garage. They go for a certain ride in the neighborhood where it doesn't, you know, where everybody has those or something like that. Or they take a ride in the plane without showing they have a plane because they need to get in a private jet. They need to get to the meeting in Hong Kong and get back seamlessly without any problems. They're not going to say to every anyone, I have a plane. I just went to Hong Kong and came back. So uh, I agree with you 100%. They don't have time. They don't have the the passion to do that, they're too busy, and, and, uh, and their priorities are, are intact. Uh, so I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, and I'll tell you even more so that I met a lot of people who work for those people who are so flashy because they make great <laughs> salaries, right? They make like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they want to show, I'm, I'm with him, I'm this and that. And then you see the owner, he's wearing this simple suit. And he is a very simple person. And he's driving maybe a Honda or even a Lexus or something like that. But he's not like going out and, you know, and showing here I am. And that's what I have. He's a simple person or whatever it is. So I, I hear what you say and I agree with you. I love that perspective. And I tell everybody that are listening, uh, look how beautiful. And this is meaning we're learning every time a new thing. We had so many shows we obviously discuss most of the time commercial real estate. All of a sudden comes the uh, Juan and teaches us, hey, it's not only the numbers. The numbers are important. You get the deal. It's a good deal. Everything is nice. But you just started to check out what is really important. You need to know that the person who you're giving money to, especially if you are a high net worth individual, you want to know that the other side will actually perform and pay. Yes, deals go south. That happens, okay? Everybody knows that. But you want to know that the person who is writing it is trustworthy and is not only trustworthy, but it's fitting for this role so you can give them the money. I love that. It, it was a lesson. It was definitely uh, eye, an eye-opener. Uh, before we said our goodbyes, if you want to add another point, I would love to hear it. Well, we didn't talk anything about real estate. <laughs> also, you know what? So, so let's let's go. Let's do it. I, mean, I thought that we were going to talk about the world of family offices. But of course, we're a real estate show. Let's talk real it's estate. It's part of it. Part tell, of it. It's part tell, of it. Tell, tell me. Tell me. Let's go. Let's talk real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly before before we, we go. Look, I think that that uh, there's a lot of, of misleading information about real estate. Uh, I have to mention that to me, real estate is the best investment one can make. 
by far. But the information that we find is that, oh, new generations do not want a house because they prefer to rent. Because if they rent, they can have a additional income to travel, to do these kind of things. And I think that is absolutely preposterous to, 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 to say that and, and somebody to suggest that. I think that a real estate, a house, basically, is the only way for people to really save money in the long run. And let me tell you why I say that. For instance, the market. If you see the performance of the market and the performance of the real estate for, let's say, 20 years, if you invested in the, let's say, the Standard Poor Index 20 years ago, you have today a lot of money. And, uh, and you are going to be better off that if, instead of investing 20 years ago in uh, S&P, you bought a house. But the difference is that uh, most of the people I'm talking about, like almost all of the people, when they make some money uh, out of the market, they sell. They sell because whatever reason, because they want the money to buy something or, or because they think that the market is too high or because uh, somebody invaded uh, uh, the Ukraine or, or whatever reason you have. So people don't get invested, are not invested all the time. And that is a mistake. Yet, if you have a house, you don't touch the house. The house is there for 20 years. And at the end of the day, you increase the equity in the property, and uh, and and that is and that is right now in America, in the world, is basically the only thing that people have is the house when they are lucky, because not everybody has a house. I love the perspective, although many many people argue, and I don't know if you're involved in that, but and putting in the money into commercial real estate, multifamily investments. Um, Income producing type of uh, type of deals. Are you involved in that? Yes, I have been involved in. Uh, when I was working for HSBC, we were involved in many many uh, real estate deals. The, the 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 one of the problems that I found and that happened to me in those deals is that they they are short term deals. Let's say five years five year deals, and uh, if the timing is not right the pro projected income and the projected exit is not going to happen. Uh, that's why I prefer better than, than be part of these kind of deals. You know what? I, and again, I am a very simple investor, extremely simple, even though I've been doing this for 35 years. Buy your, buy your house or buy, or buy 10 houses, keep and take care of them, hire somebody, a family office that can rent your houses and you're going to be way, way better off than, than having a, a one of these club deals or, or real estate deals. At least that is my experience. And, uh, and, and, and I have lived that, by the way. You know what? What I love about you know, talking to interesting people is I, every time I learn something new and I hear a new perspective and I love that. Thank you so much. Um, tell us, Juan, for those uh, high net worth individuals who got excited about hearing you and maybe you could manage their, their money and lead their investments, how they can find you through LinkedIn or elsewhere. Uh, and you guys obviously can see the links above or below. Go ahead. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, I I, I um, lead the point five number five point five family office because we are five members um, uh, here in Switzerland, and, and is uh, the website is there. Also, LinkedIn. I am very noisy. I like to put a lot of uh, a lot of articles of what's going on in the uh, in the in the political economic ecosystem I, I am very interested in 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 where the world is going policy uh, policy wise and uh, basically that's it I mean the, the LinkedIn Juan Carlos Lara and point five family office.com beautiful you guys heard it you can find the links you can get in touch with Juan and Juan really thank you so much for your time really appreciate it it is a real pleasure Thank you for this. Awesome, awesome. And you guys, I'll see you in the next show. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>